Amen. Thank you, Brother Richard. Uh, beautiful opening. Christ, Christ is certainly worthy. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our, of our devotion, of our dedication, of all that we have to give. So I'd like to uh, open with a prayer. Let's pray. Lord, dear Lord Jesus and gracious Father, Almighty God, we worship you. We praise you for what you've done and given. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. We pray, Lord, that you give us the grace to seek you, to know you, to present to your will and to your, and to your way, to walk in obedience. Oh, Father, help us to put our trust, our faith, and our lives in you. Lord, I pray for this uh, time here. Pray that you give life, that you open and reveal your word to us, um, the message that... Uh, that's already been given, Lord. We thank you for that. We pray for your grace over this time here and the words that are spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, so good morning, everyone. Um, I'd like to continue this morning with our, with the study I guess I'm doing, or we're doing, on First John, on First John. So we're at First John chapter two, uh, verses fifteen to twenty-nine. So the second half of First uh, John chapter two. If you want to turn there and follow along, that'll be our text. <clears throat> um, so my heart is to slowly go to to walk through this uh, this book of John, and, and it's really blessed me. It's really been uh, really spoke to me in a real and powerful way. So this morning, or this uh, this week, the passage is, uh, Do not love the world. And interestingly, it came up in our morning meetings, um, as it comes up in our morning meetings almost every week. Uh, to love the world, to not love the world. Uh, and what that means... And how do we interpret that? And how do, we, how do we live that out? How do we walk through that? What does it mean? Um, so I want to spend quite a bit of time on the first few verses, verses 15 to 17. So I'll go ahead and read it. First um, John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So a very uh, very loaded verses. Um, and here he says, do not love the world. And you have to ask the question, why is that in here? Why is that important? And he says it right away. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we cannot love the world 
and also love God. So he's bringing out an, an impossibility. He's saying it's not possible for us to love the world and it's not part to end at the same time love God, which puts us in a predicament. And to him, he's presenting the obvious conclusion is don't love the world. Okay, what does that mean? What is the world? What exactly are we talking about? And uh, this is answered, he answered that right away. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what he's talking about. When he's referring to the world, he means that's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the world. And you look around us and, and you're wondering, okay, as we look around here, um, everything we see is the world. I mean, this pulpit here, it's probably going to burn up one day. It's the world. It's not going to go into eternity. It's, not, it's, not, it's a part of this world. It's not going to be a part of heaven. It's not going to be a part of eternity. The clothes that we wear, it's, it's the world. It's part of this world. We're not going to take any of it to heaven. But we all need clothes, especially here in our refrigerator sanctuary. Um, <clears throat> it's a couple degrees too cold, too cold. Or is it just me? No. Just checking. Um, anyway. <laughs> anyway, so it's part, it's part of this world. But if we look at clothing, if we look at our clothing, the clothes we wear, we can't be without it. We have to have clothing. Same thing with our houses. Same thing with, our, uh, with, with even our work. With the money that we have to have. The same thing with even the Bible that, that we read here. It's part of this world. This book isn't going to be in eternity. The words inside this book are eternal. But uh, all the things around us are a part of this world. Um, so I think it's worth some time. It's worth some thinking about uh, what does it mean when we say the world. Uh, when we refer to the world, the Bible, uh, Jesus referenced a lot. He said, this world, um, this world, the, the things here. And when you think of the world, what do you think about? Uh, we have this term that, that we're used to, that we're used, that we've used in our past. We're used to wildlich, uh, worldly, things that are wildlich. Uh, and that's things that are worldly, things that are of the world, that we assign those things, they're, what does that mean when we say something's worldly? And that's a different term, but I think it's worth thinking about what, what, it, what that means. And uh, we're all used to it. We come from, uh, from most of us come from conservative backgrounds. <clears throat> um, okay, if we look, if we're, but if, we're, if someone's driving down the street, down the road, and you see a billboard, that's, uh, that's showing something 
that's not good. Some, maybe a seductive picture, maybe uh, a casino or something that we inherently know this is, this is not good. This is not somewhere we go. This is not something we associate with. Uh, maybe it's provocatively evil. They're trying to be something, they're trying to promote something satanic. And we look at that and we, some things are automatic, okay? There's good, bad, there's nothing. It's just, it's black, it's dark, it's wrong. Uh, killing, death. Um, <coughs> um, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Um, so, so we look at the, we look at those a lot of things and in our mind most of us will have this line that this is bad maybe there's a gray area this is the world and then there's all the rest of the world around us that we have to figure out okay what is this where do we put this in this conversation <clears throat> um we know we all have a line every every person that tries to have any um any conscience um, any level of godliness has a line somewhere. It's just at different places where people wouldn't go. Um, <clears throat> we have everybody has a, a line that they that they wouldn't cross, or at least they think they wouldn't cross. There's a line of, of right and wrong. Okay, so where does it? What what does it mean when we're talking about the world? How is it defined? Is everything the world? Is he referring to everything? What isn't the world? In our life here, I want to ask the question, if you look around, if you think about your life, what isn't the world? When, uh, when John says, do not love the world, he's referring to, what, what, does, what does that not mean? Sometimes that's helpful. <clears throat> um, so I found it helpful to look at our spiritual opposition, our spiritual struggles, the, the battles we fight against, um, to kind of look at them at, as three different categories or three different fronts. So there's three different things that are going to oppose our spiritual growth, our spiritual life, our spiritual progress. Um, so here in the scripture we read, he says the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay, those three are going to be are going to be our enemies. Um, I like to think of it also as um, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay, in a sense, it's the whole evil force that's working against us. Okay, the world meaning um, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the things of this world. The cares, um, the things that are around us, the things we see. And then there's our flesh. Then there's our personal struggle. And those two really overlap. Okay, the world, the problem with the world is, is our flesh is attracted to it. Our flesh gets, has this attraction to the world. And that's, that's the struggle. And then there's the devil, there's the actual demonic forces, the demonic powers that are working against us, that are untiringly fighting against uh, our spiritual life and our spiritual growth. So this world, if we look around the world, 
Um, this is this is our home. We have to be. This is this is where we're stuck. I mean, this we can't go out of this world. Um, maybe in the next ten or fifty years, um, they're going to. Somebody's going to make it to Mars, and they're going to eke out a miserable existence in some glass shell in Mars and eat food out of a toothpaste. And I don't know what all that would look like, but a lot of people have this idea that they want to move to Mars and settle there, um, get, get out of this planet and, and have a settlement there and have a great, I don't know, looks pretty rough to me. Uh, there's no water there as far as we know. If they found water, they'd probably need a lot of chemicals from the world to, uh, from this world to, to stabilize it so maybe they can drink it. But, okay, for the most part, most of us aren't going to Mars, aren't going anywhere. We're here. We're here on, uh, we're here on this, on this, in this uh, earth, on our planet. Um, but for the most part, I, I think for me, the earth is pretty nice, um, except for maybe mosquitoes and gnats and flies. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty nice. I mean, we live, especially where we live, um, we it's we're blessed we we have comfortable we can have comfortable lives maybe too comfortable um for my part i'm not i'm not interested in mars i i have a problem liking it too much here this world to me is a nice place <clears throat> And when I read this verse, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a legitimate challenge to me. I think it will be to all of us. Uh, we don't live very miserable existences for the most part. Um, if we do, it's, it's an inner turmoil that's making us miserable. Outwardly, it's fairly comfortable. Um, so there's this, uh, there's this story of uh, Simeon Stylites uh, or Simeon the Stylite. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's a monk that lived uh, 390 to 300, 450 years after Christ. And uh, at a young age, uh, and he is known for living on top of a pillar. For 37 years. And uh, so anyway, I'll read the story. And it's just from Wikipedia. I mean, you can, don't, don't reference it too carefully. Um, <clears throat> he was a Syrian, a Christian ascetic. Ascetic. If you know what an ascetic is, is people who believe, Christians who believe in, um, how would you say it? in the, not the torture, but the, um, the bringing, the hurting, or the, the disciplining of the flesh, of, the, of, our, of our body. 
um, in sometimes extreme ways for spiritual growth, for spiritual advancement. Okay, so <clears throat> he achieved a notability by living 37 years on a small platform on top of a pillar near Aleppo in modern Syria. Um, Simon Simeon developed a zeal for Christianity at the young age of 13, following the reading of the Beatitudes. He entered a monastery before the age of 16, and from the first, he gave himself to the practice of an austerity so extreme to all, to all appearance so extravagant that his brethren judged him to be unsuited to any form of community life. They asked Simeon to leave the monastery. So he went to this monastery, and he was so extreme with everything he did. Um, so a monastery was kind of a small uh, community, a small uh, mini, um, I don't know, mini colony, where they lived together, and they had to live to do everything together. Um, that's how a monastery worked. They had to, they had to work things out together. Um, so anyway, he left, and he shut himself up in a hut, for one and a half years, where he passed the whole of Lent without eating or drinking. When he emerged from the hut, his achievement was hailed as a miracle. He later took, on, took to standing continually upright, so long as his limbs would sustain him. So just these extreme acts of... Uh, not sure how to describe it. Uh, self, maybe you could call it. Uh, I don't know what, it's, it's called asceticism. Um, after one and a half years in his hut, Simeon sought a rocky eminence on the slopes of what is now Sheikh Barakat Mountain, <clears throat> a, mount, a part of Mount Simeon. He chose to live within a narrow space, less than 20 meters in, diameters, in diameter. But crowds of pilgrims invaded the area to seek him out, asking his counsel or his prayers, and leaving him insufficient time for his own devotions. This eventually led him to adopt a new way of life. In order to get away from the ever-increasing number of people who came to him for prayers and advice, leaving him little, if any, time for his private austerities, Simon discovered a pillar which had survived among the ruins in nearby Talanisi, modern-day Taladi in Syria and formed a small platform on the top. He determined to live out his life on this platform. For sustenance, small boys from the nearby village would climb up the pillar and pass him parcels of flatbread and goat's milk. He may also have pulled up food in buckets uh, via pulley. Um, when the monastic elders living in the desert heard about Simeon, who had chosen the new and strange form of asceticism, they wanted to test him and determine whether his extreme feats were founded in humility and pride, in humility or pride, they decided to order Simeon under obedience to come down from the pillar. They decided that if he disobeyed, they would forcibly drag him to the ground. But if he was willing to submit, they were willing to leave him on the pillar. Simeon displayed complete, disobedience, complete obedience and humility, and the monks told him to stay where he was. The first pillar that Simeon occupied was little more than three meters, ten feet across. He later moved his platform to others, and the last in a series reportedly more than 15, 50 meters 
no, 15 meters, 50 feet off the ground. So he got to a really high pillar. Um, at the top of the pillar was a platform, which is believed to have been about one square meter, surrounded by a baluster. Okay. So um, we can think what we will of uh, Simeon Stylites. Um, it's, uh, it's an interesting story, to say the least. Um, but the extreme form of asceticism that he decided to live, he couldn't, he couldn't bring himself under subjection enough. He couldn't. Uh, so what, what was his motive? Was he sincere? Maybe. Maybe not. Um, sounds pretty extreme. It's nothing. Jesus didn't quite live to that extreme when he walked among us. Um, neither did Paul or any of the apostles. Um, so we, of course, have our reservations. Um, so, but, but there's, but, but why, why would someone do this? This person was a professing Christian. Um, was he trying to escape the world? Was, was this an example of not loving the world and, and getting, escaping from the world? In a sense, it might have. But there's no doubt that um, Simeon's flesh went with him. Sure, a lot of the cares of this world didn't. He, he got rid of some of them. Um, a lot of the things that we worry and care about. He had a lot more time for devotions, for, uh, for whatever um, devotions or rituals he did or whatever, um, whatever he was doing. Um, so, so there's, the, but the idea behind it is, was for him to get away from the world. That's why he joined the monastery. Maybe his heart was to live completely devoted, completely devoted to Christ. Um, anyway, that's, that's the extreme story on one side. <clears throat> um, extreme asceticism. To cut, out, cut yourself off from everything in the world, to live as a hermit uh, in isolation, um, Christ's teachings don't reflect it, but but you can see how you can you can maybe get a glimpse of why, how and why he got there. He got to where he was. Um, Jesus did say, "Whoever gives up houses, home, lands, family, in this world." will receive it back much more in this world and in the world to come. So it's interesting to take that passage and plug it into a person like that, a person's life with extreme sacrifice. Okay, how does that pencil out? I mean, you can, you can certainly believe that was part of his comfort when he's sitting up there in the rain. Um, there's a lot of time for things to go through your head. <clears throat> anyway... Um, we're not in danger of that.
type of extreme behavior yet. Um, but with the world, okay, how do we not love the world? And what is the world? And uh, sorry, my, I feel like it's a little scattered, uh, my, my message, but hopefully you can follow. What is the world? Okay, in one sense, the world is all around us. Jesus came. For God so loved the world, the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, that's the world around us. So, um, and here we have, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And it's in, okay, so, so the point, that what I want to drive at is the issue may not be so much the world, but to love the world. Where is your love? Where is your affection? Do not love the world. Or the things in the world. Um, Paul wrote to the Corinthians um, on that one point um, about immorality, and he said, uh, I, "I wrote to you that you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have anything to do with someone who is an immoral person." And then he said, "I didn't mean with people outside the church." He said, the people outside, if you, if you don't have anything to do with anyone outside, anyone who has any sin, you'll, you'll just, you'd have to get out of the world. You'd have to transport out of the world, out of the world. If you want to get away from sin, if you want to get away from all the sin, from everything that's in your life. And that's the situation we would be in. See, you can't really escape this world. It's going to follow you. It's going to come with us. We're in it. You can't get out. We can't go to Mars. And if we could go to Mars, it would be much worse. Because we take most of the problem with us. So the world is here. The problem is that the point is we're not to love the world. And in a certain, to a certain point... We should have the wisdom to, to see something that's taking over, that, that we can't resist, and to cut it out of our lives, yes. But to try and get away from everything, like Simeon the Stylite, and to climb, to, to retreat into the mountain, and to think that we can, we can get away from the world, we can get away from every, we get away from everything that's nice, and everything that's... Uh, that's pretty, and everything that's, uh, that's helpful and, and, and makes our life easier, to think that'll make us more holy. The, the moves like that can help, and we should have the wisdom and the discernment to see some of those things that are hindering us and to cut them out of our lives. <clears throat> see, Jesus talked many times 
about the dangers of riches. That there's a danger in riches. And the riches of this world. Why? Jesus himself said, he gave clear warnings, woe unto you rich men. Jesus said it's impossible, it's, it's almost impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ooh. Why? Because of the cares of this world. Because rich people start loving their stuff. If we have a lot of stuff, we'll start loving it. If we have a lot of money, we'll start loving money. If we're working for money, where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. If we're working for a certain treasure, and that's where our that's where we're resorting. That's where our where's your mind? Where's your mind working right now? When you're not following along, and you you go into this, uh, um, I lose your attention, and your mind kind of drifts off. And it happens to all of us. Don't feel bad. Uh, but where does our mind go? Where does our mind result? Where does our mind, when we relax, when we're not thinking about anything, what's on our mind? What's on our heart? It can point us to where our treasure is. <clears throat> and where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And everybody loves their treasure. <clears throat> we all love our treasures. <clears throat> and uh, see, like, like riches, the way Jesus talks about them, he says, like, there's a danger. Woe unto you, rich men. Hard words. Woe. Like, this is dangerous. The big danger signs. And uh, I, I think of it like, it's like a little hook with a worm on there. Um, that one, uh, I don't know if you ever saw that message by Francis Chan about the little hook. With the, with the bait on it. And there's a little hook there uh, with, with something on there that, that you're interested in. Um, and it might be, there might be a little trinket on this hook and the devil's waving it in front of us. And there might be a little uh, something better, something more expensive, something, but just something, just something within your range. The devil's a good fisherman. And he, he figures out bait that works for us. And he weaves it in front of us. But there's hooks and there's barbs. And those hooks have barbs. And I think the rich riches and uh, just not rich, but the ability to buy what you want. I think that makes you rich more than anything else. Okay, not that somebody has a lot of stuff, you uh, needs a lot of money, or, but for us to have the ability to buy what what we want, that makes us pretty rich. There's few people who can buy buy what they want if they if they want something, if they need something, um, they can decide to buy it and and go on and and next week or the week two weeks later, do they do the thing, do that again? A lot of people, most people have to scratch, scratch and save. And, um, <clears throat> but there's a barb on those hooks. 
And once you have it, it's 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 hard to it's uh, it's got you. You've got to like you got to get free. And how do you get free? You know what a barb is? On a small hook, um, there's a little hook on the back. So once it goes in, you can't pull it out. <clears throat> That's the deceitfulness of riches. Jesus said riches are deceitful. How are they deceitful? They're dangerous. They're deceitful because you don't know how dangerous they are. They're deceitful. Something If something is deceitful, it looks okay. It looks like there's no, no worries. Jesus used that word. Beware of the deceitfulness of riches. Because there's something hidden in there. There's a danger there that you won't see. That I don't see. That you don't see. And if, uh, if they were not deceitful, there'd be no risk. If we knew all the risk, if we knew how it's going to get us, how it's going to affect us, you know, we could calculate for that and, and go on. But it's deceitful. It's going to get us. And I don't, I don't know exactly how, but there's a danger in it, and we need to be careful for that. <clears throat> okay, so going on to verse 17. This world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And I think here's one of the keys I want to point to that tells us what the world is. What is this world? What are the dangers of the world? The lust of the flesh. Um, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that, that we've been talking, that he's been talking about. Um, <clears throat> um, how, do we, how, do we, how do we determine that? What is the dangers of the world? And a lot of us might be thinking about um, our background, you know. Like the Amish brethren, they decided years ago, about, what, 50, 60, 70 years ago, um, that cars and the conveniences of, uh, of electricity are worldly. It's just making it too easy. And uh, they came together and they decided, I think, in, uh, in, uh, with, with good, good intentions, with a good heart, and I can, I can really appreciate that stand, um, that they would all be better off if they didn't have any of those things. And they agreed not to have them. And right now, there's Amish thousands of them, way more than Hutterites, that are driving around with buggies and uh, they don't have electricity. Anyways, not, they're not connected to the grid. And they're living that way. And I think that could be helpful. I mean, I can, I can appreciate a lot of that. They have a lot of struggles that we don't have. Like I was, I was visiting a, an Amish community uh, years ago, and uh, it wasn't that long ago, maybe 10 years ago or so, and uh, they were 
talking about some of the young people had gotten a radio and they were they had been using their radio to listen to this uh, to music which was not it was not allowed it's not something they dealt with but at the same time we here were dealing with uh, with internet and uh, with young people coming on the internet and finding who knows what on there and young men struggling with that. And I had to scratch my head a little bit, you know. Uh, it sure be nice to be messed, to be, to be struggling with radios right now, as opposed to uh, internet pictures and movies. And it, you know, I scratched my head. I, I, was, I was like, okay, I, I, I can appreciate some of that. I'm certainly not there. I don't, I don't want to go back. But there's a there's a certain value in it um, that that I that I can appreciate. Um, in our culture, growing up, we all remember a time when when red cars were too worldly. A community would not have a red car. Um, when jeans were too worldly. Most were, most music was considered too worldly. We don't we don't listen to that. Haircuts were worldly. Uh, some haircuts, um, even indoor plumbing was too worldly. Not that long ago. And we we generally don't use that word anymore because of the stigmas, because of what it's you know. We kind of maybe laugh at it. But uh, the world is everything we see around us. And how, how do we process that? What, what do we do with that? Um, see, I think the bigger problem is, is, is sharing our loyalties. We can't share our loyalties. He says, do not love the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And I want to look at the, a minute at this definition that we're given right here. All that is in the world. The lust of the flesh. What is the lust of the flesh? It's the passions of our flesh. Our flesh, our personal desires, our um, um, whatever desires we have. It might be for money. It might be for pleasure. It might be for... Uh, um, for improper relationships, the lust of the flesh, those desires that are not that are not good, that are evil, the lust of the eyes, and that's wanting to buy everything you see, uh, desiring to buy everything you want and you see. You see something and you want to buy it. That's the lust of the eyes. Your eyes see something and you want it. You see something else and you want it. That's the lust of the eyes. And you can spend your life fulfilling those, trying to fulfill that. The pride of life is exalting ourselves. It's looking down on others. It's what keeps us from forgiving. And seeing, forgiving others and seeing ourselves as we are. <clears throat> Jesus said, now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world, 
and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the good seed, the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Like I said, the things of this world are not necessarily the problem. In fact, we won't escape most of them. And I think it's wise for us to have limitations, just like we have limitations for our children. We don't allow them to experience everything. We don't allow them to do things that are going to hurt them. We don't allow them to have everything they want. Why? Why don't we give our children everything they want? I've struggled with that as a father because I go into the store uh, or it comes their birthday and you want to buy them something. And I've had to hold myself back because I don't want to give them everything they want. I don't want them to have everything they want. They shouldn't have everything they want because it'll hurt their character. It's going to damage them. And uh, I, I see that in... And I think that we should have the same wisdom to look at our lives and say, that's, that's not good. That's not, that's not going to be helpful. <clears throat> How did Jesus live? When Jesus lived in this world, what do we see? He lived here. He lived among the people. At the same level of the common people. He didn't retreat up into some mountain and live alone as a hermit. But on the other hand, he didn't spend that much time in luxurious houses and environments. He lived poorly with the poor people. He was drawn to them. <clears throat> he went to houses when he was invited. He ate feasts when they were served to him. He accepted that a woman lavished expensive perfume on him. And uh, he said it's a beautiful thing. Yet he lived. Um, Jesus died with the set of clothing on his back. That's all there was. Those soldiers, they threw dice for his tunic, right, and the robe. Those were his only possessions when he died. <clears throat> no house, no money, nothing to basically nothing to his name. Except he had 11, and at that point, very disillusioned followers, disciples. And uh, he didn't care for the things of this world. And yet he so loved the world, he so loved the people of this world that he died for us. Every day, helping people and working with people. <clears throat> and the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And again, this is the key to determining what's of the world and what's not. The things of the world are the things that will pass away. We shouldn't love the things of this world. We have to have them. We have to have food. All of us have to eat today. Or maybe not today, but 
soon. Um, but you have to eat if you want to stay healthy. Um, so can we enjoy the food? Of course. It's given to us to enjoy it. God, Jesus never meant for his disciples to just eat um, oatmeal. He never said anything of the sort. They went to banquets and they had banquets. And they ate the food that was in front of them. And when they ran out of food, they ate oatmeal. When they walked through a field, they were hungry. And they took the grain and they ate it because they were hungry. Um, so... Um, but but we, we're giving these blessings to enjoy, like, and clothing. We need clothing, and we have it, and we, we need it. But we need to be careful to not love the world. The things that will pass away, the things that won't be there in eternity, those are the things... Uh, we should put our heart on our God, people, and relationships. What else? Not much. And anything else? Anyone know of anything else? And you see, we, we can only, the as, as humans, as people, we have a problem splitting our devotion. God knows that we'll only freely be loyal to one master. Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon. You'll either serve this one and love this one, or you'll serve this one and love this one. It's like a slave that has, that has two masters. And he's, uh, he's living and he's walking around. And this master would say this, and then this master would say this. He's going to have, pick, have to pick one to obey. That's how it is with God with us and this world. We have to serve. We have to be loyal to one. Because in a lot of ways, um, they're, they're opposed. They're opposing forces. Um, the world, this, the, our flesh and the devil is working for something different than God wants from us. To have an eternal mindset. He who does the will of God abides forever. Those who do the will of God abide forever. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God is worthy of everything and so much more than we can ever give back to Him. And He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. <clears throat> so going on. Um, verse 18, if you want to follow along. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. By which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they wouldn't have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. And he says it's the last hour. And it's always impressed me how the believers, how the church from the first day of, uh, from the first day on, the church has always thought that they were in the last hour. That here John, he thought he was at the brink of the coming of Christ, of the return of Christ. And 
It's beautiful because I, I, I believe that's how we're meant to live. We're meant to live. The church is meant to live in a way that if Christ came, was on the brink of coming, if Christ came tomorrow or next week, that's how we're called to live. And it's a high calling. It's a high challenge. Um, but I believe that's how we're called to live. Are you ready for the Lord's return? Are we living? And are we, are we living every day like the Lord will return? How would our life be different if we did? Are we living like someone preparing to meet their maker? <clears throat> but he says these antichrists, um, and who are there? So who, who are they? Who are these antichrists? So there's the antichrist that we all know about, the one that's going to come. But he said, John says, there's different antichrists here. And he says, there's people who are among the church and they left the church. And now they're working against, they're tearing down and destroying what God has built. And he said, these are already antichrists. These are other antichrists, people working against Christ, um, actively working against the church. And they had once been believers. They had once been in the church. Um, he said, John said, they were not of us. So basically he's saying they were in, in the church, but they were not true believers. They were not true. They were not honest. Um, and uh, he says they were never really a part of us. That's why they turned away. That's why they could turn against the faith. He said those people are also the Antichrist. Um, simply put, anything working against Christ, anyone working against Christ and the church is the Antichrist. Um, not the, 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 the ultimate, the, the great Antichrist, but an Antichrist. Verse 20, but you have nothing, but you have, sorry, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know, you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. And we have an anointing from the Holy One. God has given us His Spirit to show, to lead, and to discern, to help us discern all things. And John says to his disciples that you, um, he's confident that we know the truth and are if we're led, <clears throat> because we're led by the Spirit. The Spirit reveals and leads his people and the church. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is, the, he is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father also. But he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Who is of the truth and who is a liar? And he's giving us... Um, a way to discern these people who are antichrist. <clears throat> and uh, most simply put, it's those who are against Christ. And he says to the point, um, anyone who denies Christ is denying God, does not believe in God. And you had these people, they had these Jews who came among, uh, among the people, among the church, and they tried to bring people back to the law. And they were denying Christ and they were denying the work of Christ. And he says, anyone who denies Christ does not even believe in God. If you don't believe Christ is, Christ, what? Christ is God, that he's the son of God, 
that he walked here as a man. And he went through all the struggles and the trials that we went through. And he prevailed. Then you don't believe in God either. Um, a lot of times we'll sympathize a little bit with Jews. But he says um, because they believe in, in, in God and, and the same God that we do, as is often said. And some people will say the same about Muslims. Um, but if they don't believe in Christ, if they don't believe in Jesus, they don't, leave, they don't believe in God. It's, it's something different. They're believing in a different God, some figment of their imagination that they think they believe in. <clears throat> the teachings of Jesus and the will of God are never in conflict. <clears throat> Verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise that He has promised you, eternal life. These things I have written to Him, to you, concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need anyone that anyone teach you. But that same anointing teaches you concerning all things. It is true, and it's not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. A good portion of this message is, is this warning um, of this passage. It's the warning against these antichrists showing up. And apparently they were deceiving and pulling away people. <clears throat> and, and John says, said to his disciple, to the, to the church, this is a letter to the churches. He said, uh, abide in that which you received from the beginning. And he, he lays it out and he says, this is, this, there is no new gospel. There's not going to be a different, better message coming from God than the one we have shown you. And he says, he said to the believers, don't, the, the gospel you initially received is the true gospel. And he said with confidence in another passage too, if anyone teaches you contrary to this gospel, do not believe him. If anyone teaches you, teaches a different Christ or a different message, stick to the one you originally believed, the message that you first received, the message of life and redemption and life in him. <clears throat> so now in closing, verse 28 and 29, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Um, now, little children, abide in Christ. Stay in Christ. This is one of John's terms. Um, we see it in, the, in his gospel, and we see it come up uh, several times in, the, in his epistles. Abide in Christ. And that was his, that was his heart. That's what he preached. Abide in Him. Stay in Christ. Walk with Him. Um, abide in the vine. To stay connected. To continually receive life from the vine. To live in the presence and the life of Jesus. To live as if you were able, as you were preparing to stand in His presence. And we know that He is righteous. Therefore, everyone that does who practices righteousness is of Him.
<clears throat> a beautiful practical nugget. Um, we know them by their fruit. Those who are righteous, those who say they're righteous, those who say they follow Christ will live righteous lives. Um, that's the obvious, the, the, the beautiful and the wonderful effect of someone who follows in Christ, of someone who abides in Christ. And he lives for him. He bears Christ-like fruit. So, uh, amen. Blessings to you. And we'll open it up for sharing.